Happy Warm Sabbath. We are delighted that you have decided to tune in and share your morning with us as we delve into the Word. We are in a new lesson, a new quarterly. We are dealing today uh, with crucibles. And so as we talk about this idea of crucibles, let's invite the presence of God to accompany our conversation. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you because you are the one that makes crooked paths straight. Mm -hmm. And we would simply pray, Lord, that our conversation, that our time together, that our communion with each other may bring you honor and glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So this idea of crucibles, Joey, has to do with something that is melted but it also has to do with a moment for a decision to be made. So there's kind of this double entendre with the word. And it's a word, again, that reminds us of this call that the Christian life has invited us to. And it's not always a simple call. It's not always a pleasant call, but it is always a meaningful call. How are you this Sabbath? I'm doing well. Thank you, Miguel. Yeah, um, it's it's funny because... We know, I mean, I feel like I've grown up expecting there to be trouble. There's mm-hmm. going to be challenges when you follow Christ. That's within the Adventist tradition, at mm-hmm. least, there is this feeling like following God is not going to be the easy mm-hmm. path, right? Straight and narrow, all of these things that we talk about, you know, it's a cliff on one side, you go into one, there's the danger on the other side, you have to stay on this narrow path. All of those imageries, some that we've discussed before and kind of debunked that, that theory, but so theoretically i think there's an expectation that i have an expectation that there's going to be challenges but it's funny that when challenges come i'm still surprised mm-hmm. i'm still a little bit shocked like why did that happen mm. i mean aren't i a good christian haven't i been following god haven't i do- been doing the right thing so that i know theoretically it's not always going to be an easy path but i'm still surprised mm-hmm. by it which is, I mean, which is what Peter is writing here. He's, he, he says, don't be surprised right. by it. And yet I am. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good way of putting it, Joey. I also think that you are bringing up this kind of interesting collision that I found as, as I was thinking about these issues myself, which is our tradition as Adventists, our mm-hmm. tradition as Adventists kind of is highlighted by this notion of the time of trouble. Yeah. And so built into our narrative, you have this idea of, you know what, it's not always going to be easy because as Paul says, you this is a war against powers and principalities. The thing is, 
there's that narrative, but then there's also kind of this inherent belief that we have that life is supposed supposed to work in some orderly fashion. Mm. And so I think what you're what you're saying is there's these two kind of colliding ideas that we're trying to struggle with. And I think having a healthy outlook to suffering depends on our capacity to find a resolution to that inner conflict between our tradition and our heritage, which says, hey, things are not always going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And this, and then this inherent desire or almost this human drive to believe that things ought to work in a particular way. Yeah. I mean, from when we're young, we have this almost, it's like we're born with it. I'm not sure if that's taught to us, but my children, when they were young, they had this obsession with things being fair, mm-hmm. right? And things being fair was, okay, if my sister gets this one candy, then I should get one. If she gets two, then I should get two, right? Things have to be equal. They have to be fair. There is that inherent feeling within us that things should be fair. Um, and then, of course, we as parents, we like to say, well, life isn't always fair, mm-hmm. right? And yet that fairness, that, that, that commitment or feeling like everything should be fair, it seems to be rooted in our view of God because we think of God as a just God, mm-hmm. right? The Bible tells us he's a just God. And so it bothers us when we experience what of injustice within mm-hmm. us. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it should bother us. But there is this reality that God doesn't always give us what we expect, right? I mean, look at the story of Job. The story of Job is, is, is sort of all about that in that because Job was someone who trusted God so much, he put him in the crucible. Mm. He like intentionally put him in Satan's sight. Satan didn't bring up Job in the book of Job. God brought up Job, mm-hmm. right? He says, "See, have you seen my servant Job? And brought Satan's uh, target on Job's back. Yeah. And, um, and, and as a result, Job went through what I would consider terrible experiences. Right. And yet on the back end of that, God blesses him and cares for him. But he never really answers Job's question of, why did this happen, God? This is not fair. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, this is the, the interesting thing. Uh, you mentioned Job. It, it's to such a degree, and I think the text supp- supports your interpretation. It's to such a degree that Job actually asks God to stop looking at him. There's this beautiful passage mm-hmm. in Job that we read to each other uh, where he says, uh, wherever I go, you will find me, you will see me. Mm. Um, and But the, the point behind that is Job doesn't want to be seen by God because he is connecting this idea of being seen by God, as you're mentioning, with the trouble or the crucible that is being, that is being placed upon him. What I think th- the paradigmatic shift comes, and the lesson talks about these two characters that, that have experienced their fair bit of trouble. We talk about Peter, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Paul and his epistle to the Romans. But I, I really find this, this shift interesting. Peter doesn't just say, don't be surprised. Mm. Peter talks about this capacity to rejoice mm. in the midst of the crucible. Yeah. In the same way that Paul is going to talk about in all things being content. Mm. So it's 
that it's almost as if these two men that deeply know Christ have accepted that the crucible is inescapable. Mm. The question that they're trying to wrestle isn't then with how do I escape trouble or why does trouble happen, important as those questions might be. The question is, how do we adopt a correct attitude when we're in the midst of trouble? Mm. And that attitude is rejoicing. It would seem, at least in in Peter's mind, in Paul's mind, it would be contentment. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, he says in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when when his Mm -hmm. glory is revealed. Mm -hmm. So there is that aspect of joy that I get to almost like a privilege that I get to participate in the sufferings that, that Christ mm-hmm. participated in. And that, again, is also mirrored in the in the writings of Paul as well, that Paul also takes that kind of pride that I get to suffer and maybe even die mm-hmm. for um, in the same way that Jesus did. That I don't know about for you. That That's kind of hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really hard, Joey. I think that's an understatement. I think that's hard for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I always found the Christian story, Christian tradition that deals with Peter's death particularly Mm. poignant when thinking about how much this verse is breathed into at least church history, church tradition. We don't know if it actually happened, but this idea that uh, from the second century that Peter actually requests to be crucified upside down because he feels it an honor to die for Christ, but he feels that being a sacrifice like Jesus is too high of an honor. So he, is, he, he wants to really infuse this terrible and excruciating experience with a bit of meaning. Yeah. That's extremely hard. So then how does that mind shift happen? How do we go from looking at our sufferings, looking at the crucible as something that we want to avoid at all costs, right? Because modern conveniences are all about relieving suffering, Mm -hmm. right? We want to relieve boredom. We want to relieve pain. Anything that causes any kind of discomfort, we try to get rid of. Mm -hmm. Even waiting, right? We do microwave things. We microwave things because we don't want to wait for them to fully cook, right? We, we, We try to avoid discomfort as much as possible. So how do we go from that mindset to... It's a privilege to suffer. Mm. Yeah, I think I think modern convenience fails to recognize that there is a meaning that is attached to processes. Mm. Uh, you were talking about microwaving stuff. One of and I love microwaving, particularly with with the two boys. And sometimes Linda will have to work late, and so it's my job to get dinner together. And I love 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 microwaving. But I also love, 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 and I think I find it far more enjoyable if we have the process, the long, thoughtful process of creating a meal, right? You think that morning, hey, this is what I'm going to buy. And then you go to the farmer's market and you pick up whatever vegetables you're trying to Mm -hmm. put together. And then you wash them and then you slice them and then you plan and you bake and you prepare and you talk. And there's almost kind of this sacramental reality Mm -hmm. to creating a meal. It's almost a holy experience because everything you're doing during the meal Mm -hmm. is 
before it's infused with a meaning or a purpose, it, it, and it only makes sense, right? We wouldn't spend eight or ten hours working on a Thanksgiving meal mm -hmm. or a Christmas meal only to have it devoured in 20 minutes. It would make absolutely no sense from a utilitarian and a convenience standpoint. Yeah. But because there is meaning in the meal, we are okay with it. Yeah. And so I think the challenge wow. isn't trying to escape suffering or even trying to understand suffering. I think the challenge and what really tests our mettle is our capacity, our God-gifted capacity to try to infuse a bit of meaning into the suffering. Wow. And that seems to be what Peter and Paul do, right? They infuse meaning into mm -hmm. it. Like this suffering, this suffering is me falling in line in, in the path of Jesus to do because I am, I am following him, I am suffering. Mm -hmm. And so it just is a sign that I am aligned with what Christ with Christ's mission and his values and his purpose for life. So it's not, I'm not just seeking out suffering for the sake of seeking right. out suffering. There is some intense meaning there. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a wonderful story uh, that I was thinking about as I was reading about the crucible um, that comes, and this is actually uh, both from Marcus Aurelius and from church history, and it mm -hmm. has to do with two women. Uh, Perpetua and Felicitas. Mm -hmm. And Perpetua and Felicitas are two Christians, uh, a slave and a slave owner, a Roman citizen, and they're both thrown into the arena. And Perpetua is actually pregnant uh, as she's thrown into the... So they don't... Apparently, Roman uh, humanity stops at, uh, at pregnancy because they allow Perpetua to give birth, and then they throw her into the arena. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what I find so so fascinating is there's uh, quite a bit of correspondence that was written, uh, and you can find this, by the way, if you're interested in Fox Fox Book of Martyrs, that great Christian classic. Uh, it talks a little bit about their experience, and what I find really moving is that while Marcus Aurelius and the powers that be considered Christians dumb because in their minds they were callous callous with their lives and mm. they just uh, had no regard for th their safety what the picture that emerges when you read some of these heartfelt letters from uh, prison as they're both awaiting their fate in the arena is that they deeply wanted to live mm. It wasn't like they like Christians wanted to just be thrown into the Colosseum and set and slaughtered. Mm -hmm. They they all deeply wanted to live. They found life in Christ meaningful mm -hmm. and pleasurable and pleasant and something worth sticking around for. But their life wasn't the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Their faith was the most important thing. And wow. so they were able to look at every experience, both the pleasant ones and the painful ones, through the lens of that faith. Wow. So that's why Paul can write, to live is Christ, to die, to die is, is gain. gain. Right? Wow. Because even in death, there is a meaning there mm -hmm. as long as you're dying. And that's that seems to be what right. um, Peter is writing here in verse 14, right? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear mm. his name. 
So this idea that if you're bringing the suffering on yourself because you made bad choices, you're sinning, that's not something you should take pride in. Right. But if you're suffering because you are following Christ and being true to him, take pride in that, mm-hmm. in that 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 is a that is a mark that you are following mm. Christ. Yeah. That and that I think has it has this enormous capacity, as we are saying, of infusing meaning to suffering. And Peter is clear, right? You're not suffering as a thief or a murderer. It's a different type of suffering because it's meaning-filled. There are two books that emerge from, and two authors that I've read since on the issue of suffering and the issue of the crucible coming out of the horrendous experiences in the concentration camps. Uh, Eric Fromm, who writes uh, about love in the midst of uh, this experience where love seems impossible to appear and to have. And then, obviously, for Fromm, it has to do with the fact that meaning itself Mm. is found in our capacity for loving each other mm-hmm. and our capacity to resist this temptation to give into hopelessness mm-hmm. and instead to approach loving with uh, t- and suffering with the st- with a certain heroic stoicism mm-hmm. as as Fromm puts it i think that's extremely appealing it's extremely appealing because it reminds us of a truth that we have shared here that was written by all people Uh, by Friedrich Nietzsche, and Nietzsche says that human beings can withstand any how if they have a why. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Fromm finds out. What Fromm finds out as he's looking at life as a prisoner in a concentration camp who is is in the business of studying human beings, after all, that that was his task, he says, if love and faith are the meaning, are the why, then the how ceases to be that important. Wow. So it's it's as much a mind game as it is a body game, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just, if I'm suffering in my bo- body, the resilience doesn't only come from being able to fight through the pain. Mm-hmm. It's also very mental in that orientation of, do I understand the why? Mm-hmm. Do, I, do I believe in the why of what I'm suffering? Yeah. And it doesn't it take you, Joey, it, it's, it's a mindset that is helpful, not just in faith and spirituality, and, and we're talking here intellectually, but it's helpful practically. Yeah. So you talk about people that experience these devastatingly rough and, and hard uh, moments in life, and you, you mentioned resilience. The capacity to survive and the capacity to demonstrate resilience mm. is all about the mind. Mm. Um, there's there's a book that I that I just read that has to do with um, somebody that was ship. It's the story of uh, somebody that was shipwrecked and ha- was on a boat for I think it was three months um, as he kind of w- was on this this makeshift raft and it's kind of asking this very deep question that, that I think that Peter's asking, how do we find meaning Mm -hmm. in kind of this brutal experience? And for him, the secret to meaning and the secret to resilience is you stop 
thinking of yourself as a victim and you start thinking of yourself as a survivor. Mm -hmm. And it's that shift um, where I'm not being victimized anymore. I am going to survive. That returns a bit of agency to you in the midst of the crucible, which is why Jesus always begins his his questions uh, when he is trying to heal someone mm. by attempting to alleviate this self-pity victim, self-victimizing and actually restoring some agency in the people. What do you want mm. is a question that is after all about agency. Mm-hmm. So he gives them some power back. Mm-hmm. He gives them the ability to make a decision and make a choice for themselves. Do you think that's why he, he asks the blind man to go and wash off the water um, the layman to stand up, right, right to take right. those steps themselves. And and it's it, it's what do you, it's this question that is asking, hey, you are going to be a participant mm. in the journey out of suffering, yeah. whatever that looks like. You 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 need to help me out. You need mm. to participate. You need to be um, a co. Uh, it's a co-author with me in this story of redemption, in this redemption arc that we're trying to write. Yeah. And that that requires, I think, a different mindset, but it also requires the capacity for focus. And that capacity, again, we're going to return to this idea, infuses meaning into the suffering. Um, when you ask survivors, uh, there's uh, a book written by uh, a man uh, called Deep Survival. It's written by a man, last name Gonzalez. It's looking at these different stories of survival. And what was noted is that each one of the people that survived didn't survive because they were better trained or even they possessed better resources. It was the people that possessed the right mindset. And the one thing that kind of came up as I was reading through these different stories was that the right mindset has to do with a capacity to focus. Mm. And you focus on like the most menial task, whatever that is. And that laser focus gives you a purpose. And so I think what I find moving and what what I find possibilities on in this idea of suffering is that it allows us, suffering does nothing else but laser focus you. Mm-hmm. When you are suffering, you are That's more true. focused than when you're not. And so the question I'm asking myself is, how do I begin to prepare myself for the time of focus, for the time of suffering, by learning to focus on the right thing? Mm. Because if you focus on the right thing, the time of suffering can actually be a moment of growth, mm-hmm. right? And that's that was that was evident in the study that um, in, in the passage of Jeremiah, mm-hmm. right? In Jeremiah chapter nine, it talks about how the fire uh, is this testing time that that and, right. and this imagery is found in the New Testament of removing the dross and all of that. It purifies us, but only if we go through it in a way that that um, actually gives us the opportunity for transformation mm-hmm. and change. So you ask the question. How do we how do we prepare for the crucible in a way that we're ready to be transformed in mm-hmm. the crucible? I think part of it comes from from this. First of all, like you said, you you talked about mindset, right? Focusing on the hope, right? Having our mindset on the hope. You also um, we also talked about um, the importance of 
of resilience. And that resilience, I do believe, comes from um, the rhythms that we operate in our lives, mm -hmm. the practices that we operate with in our lives. We've talked about how people don't um, uh, rise up to the challenge. They, they default to their mm -hmm. training, right? So what are the rhythms and patterns that we are defaulting to in our lives? Um, I see this with sports all the time when I play tennis. Um, if I practice well, I'll play well. If I practice badly, if I practice with bad habits, those habits mm -hmm. are going to come out when, when the pressure right. is on, right? Um, and so I'm not going to mir miraculously just play better because I'm in a high-pressure situation. So that, that idea that I need to engage in practices that, that, in, that will allow me to be transformed when the pressure is on, mm. when I'm being heated in the crucible mm -hmm. of fire. So what practices am I engaged in regularly that strengthen my relationship with God and that um, infuse hope into my life and that, that uh, make it so that I am resilient mm. during those challenges? So the practice alleviates the pressure. Mm. Yeah, that's, I think that's what we've discovered with this idea of disciplines, right? Yeah. Uh, Richard Foster talks quite a bit about this, this, this notion that it's the whole, the whole purpose of the discipline hmm. isn't to get you closer to God. Hmm. The whole purpose of the discipline is to prepare you for when it appears that God isn't close. Mm. And I think that that just echoes what you're saying so well, mm. that it's not like I pray, like I study or I fast or I um, surrender or I confess, whatever, whatever rhythms you've infused into your life. It's not that I do those because I want to get closer to God. God is here. Mm. It's that I need these things as a default for when it seems... Like, notice I'm saying when it seems like God is far away. Wow, that is, wow, what, what Pastor Miguel just said right now, that is, that is gold, that it is not, the disciplines are not just to get God close to us, but it's for when um, God seems far away. I, and that happens because we are practicing these disciplines or these practices when God is close, Correct. right? which is sort of the opposite of the way that we normally operate. We normally, when things are good, we fall out of practice mm -hmm. engaging with God, and then all of a sudden things turn bad, and then we rush to yeah. God. I mean, we see that pattern repeated over and over in the, in the book of Judges, yeah. right? But that's not the healthiest way right. to operate because then it's this up-and-down relationship with God. I see this with um, healthy eating in myself all the time, <laughs> right? Like when I feel healthy, when I'm feeling good, I feel like, oh, well, I, I can, can eat cheat. A, yeah, I can cheat. I can eat junk, right? And then I start to feel terrible. And then it's like a rush to, okay, I need to fight to get healthy again. Yeah. And that's the up and down. Yeah. If I would just continue to eat healthy when I feel healthy, then those times of, um, you know, there's going to be times when I get sick. and But those sicknesses, those illnesses would not be as bad. Right. The lows would not be as low if I just remained in those practices mm. when things are good. Mm. That's that's a whole different arena of spirituality that I don't think we practice, though, Joey. And I think what you're saying is so powerful for the way that we kind of... You talked about microwaving for convenience. We microwave spirituality for mm. convenience, too. 
you'll find churches full at a funeral. You'll find, mm. I don't know if you remember the Sabbath after 9-11. Mm. I, I, it's one of the most vivid Sabbaths in my mind, not just because we needed that experience of being close to God and, and to mourn together, but because the churches, every single church around my town was, was just full. Yeah. It was full of people. Because I think we we wait for the crucible to come to say, where are you, Jesus? Mm. And what happens when you have a reactive religion that waits for the crucible is that you're going to create theology that is really unhealthy. Mm. The Jews built a whole system mm. of theology that was really unhealthy because it was theology that emerged out of the crucible. Yeah, It was, hey... Uh, the Babylonians are here, and the Assyrians are here, and um, the Romans are here, and this is all a result of our sin. And while that might be part of the problem, it doesn't tell the whole story. And so when you just have a cause and effect relationship with suffering, mm -hmm. I sin, therefore I suffer, what ends up, ha what ends up happening is you build belief systems that are really hurtful. That's so true. Yeah, we, we cling to God when things are bad, but we step away from him when things are good, mm -hmm. and it creates a very unhealthy dynamic and unhealthy cycle. They say that there's no atheists in foxholes, mm -hmm. but if we would just cling to God in times of peace and not just times of war, how much healthier our relationship mm -hmm. with, with him and our, how much healthier our lives would be mm -hmm. if we just did that. And you were talking about Jeremiah, and that was a great passage that, that we looked at this week. Mm. Um, it strikes me that Jeremiah is a perfect case study in suffering with purpose. Mm. Um, so Jeremiah, of all the prophets, I think is particularly poignant for us in this day and age, mm -hmm. right? In this day and age where the highest productivity loss in America has to do with mental health issues and mm. depression primarily. We lose more people to depression uh, as it pertains to their job than to anything else. Um, so it's we are a society that has now language for these deep-seated emotions that we feel, but Jeremiah was giving language to that mm. uh, so many millennia ago. And you're talking about this experience of the fire kind of uh, as transformative. Mm -hmm. And it always strikes me that for him, even though he didn't always want to go and preach because it wasn't a popular message, one of the, one of the ways in which this transformation occurs for him is by investing himself in others, mm. by having a mission and a purpose towards others. And so I think that purpose and our capacity to infuse meaning into the crucible is intimately connecting with our capacity to see other people's crucibles. Mm. So if you're yeah. if you're Eric Fromm and you're living through the horrors of Nazi Germany, it's your trying to find meaning. Mm -hmm. If you're Viktor Frankl and you're in a concentration camp, 
your your call is to provide to provide counseling for people that are also prisoners. I mean, think about yeah. this. This, I am not going to focus on myself. I'm going to use these skills for others. Um, if you are in a devastating accident, your capacity to look away or to ignore your pain to tend to those who are uh, who are suffering around you. It, it's borne out in science, though. Um, we know, for example, that antidepressants, which are great at mitigating the symptoms of depression, don't always work. Uh, they work about two-thirds of the time. But when antidepressants are combined with service, with an act of investing oneself into someone else's life, their efficacy jumps um, to, to the point where a regimen of antidepressants, talk therapy, and service mm -hmm. has found to alleviate ca cases of depression, kind of what Jeremiah is feeling about 90% mm -hmm. of the time. And it's interesting that God is then prescribing kind of that, okay, uh, let's find meaning mm -hmm. by looking at other people's crucible. Yeah. And that's, that's what Peter talks about in, in chapter 5, right? In chapter 5, verse... Um, eight and nine, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he's actively trying to place us in the crucible mm -hmm. to attack us. Verse nine says, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world mm. is undergoing the same mm. kind of of sufferings. Mm. This idea of solidarity, when I mm -hmm. look at others, it actually enables me to have more resilience um, to, uh, to outlast my suffering. You know, you, you talking about that reminded me of, um, of I think it's uh, Scott Peck, The Road Less Traveled, mm -hmm. where he talks about this woman who's undergoing depression. She's like, she's, she doesn't, she finds life meaningless and she has a lot of health issues. So he invites her to come with him to um, help out at a woman's shelter for a day. And at the end of that day, she, she says, wow, I've never been so happy in my life. And he says, you know, that's, that's what his point is, that that's what comes out out of actually focusing on others mm -hmm. for instead of focusing on my own problems. And she says, his, her reply is, well, I can't do this for every day of my life. <laughs> and so it's this mentality of knowing that actually focusing on and helping others does actually alleviate, help alleviate me because I'm not so obsessed with my own problems. And yet <laughs> we don't think that's possible to live a life that way. And yet that's the life that God calls us mm. to, right? Is a life that's actually centered on others instead of just focused on myself. Mm. Right? Centered on others. Center and I love I love the language that you use this idea of solidarity. Mm. It's extremely important. I, it does something. I don't know if it's uh, physiological or emotional or spiritual, but it does something to know that you are going through uh, this very dark road. But the, but this is a road uh, to use. Uh, to use Peck's analogy, that is not less traveled. It's a mm -hmm. road that many other believers have traveled before. Mm -hmm. This is why I think it is, you have kind of the idea of these self-help groups, with uh, any 12-step uh, self-help 
group that says, we're going to partner you with someone, mm -hmm. with a sponsor that has actually traveled that same road, because yeah. there's something powerful in hearing someone say, I've been exactly where you are, mm -hmm. and there's light after this, there's a future after this, there's meaning after this. Uh, darkness may be all around us, but light does come in the morning. Mm. T just to hear those words does something that deeply alleviates our experience in the crucible. So perhaps you can leverage your crucible experiences to alleviate someone else's suffering. Wow. Yeah, it's so true. Um, it, it also reminds me of that. It's probably a fictional story of uh, two monks who are walking a long distance to a monastery when a storm hits, a snowstorm hits, and they're just trying to, it's freezing. They're trying to fight their way there. And the younger monk, he's losing resilience, right? He's losing endurance and he just wants to stop. And then all of a sudden the older monk twists his ankle and he falls down. And he tells the younger monk, um, I'm not going to make it. Um, there's no way I can mm -hmm. I can I can go on this. I think it was a broken ankle actually. I can go on this broken ankle all the way to the monastery. Just leave me behind and go yourself. And the younger monk says, "No, Father, how can I leave you behind? Right. I will carry you." And so he he puts him on his shoulders and he helps lug him and carry him. He gets all the way, fights his way through this snowstorm. Finally gets to the monastery and they collapse there at the inside the entrance of the monastery. And then the, the the older monk gets up and starts walking. <laughs> and he says, what? How are you walking? And he says, well, I saw that you were not going to be able, you had given up hope of being able to go on your own. And so I wanted to give you a reason to mm. keep fighting. Mm. And um, it, it's so powerful when we are focused on the 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 needs of others. We mm. see this with mother bears, right, who mm -hmm. fight for their children. When we fight for others, it gives us the endurance mm. to keep moving forward, even in the midst of a crucible. Mm. Fighting for others. And I think that's the calling, right? Paul, Paul, Peter, uh, anyone that writes really an epistle in the New Testament ends the epistles with these calls. And I think it's really interesting how most of these epistles... Uh, word their calls uh first peter 5 10 and the god the god of grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast so it's almost it's almost as if peter is saying look admit that you are going to suffer mm. just admit that it's gonna yeah. happen suffering doesn't last forever and the call of Christ, the call of Jesus is a call to hope because we know that the crucible doesn't last forever. Last mm. week we talked about this idea yes. of the valley of the shadow of death and that that is transitory. So it's almost as if these writers of the New Testament are mm. writing to communities that are experiencing suffering. Yeah. They're clear on that. And they say, I know that your heart would just quake and quiver at the, at the reality of everything that's going around you. You're being persecuted and you're being maligned and people are kicking you out of the synagogue. 
But my call is a call to patient endurance mm. because God will restore you. Wow. Yeah, because God will restore you. That's the hope, right? That's the hope that we always cling to. And I think that's so powerful. We've talked about how this resilience that allows us to be transformed positively by the crucible, it, it comes from finding meaning, mm -hmm. right? To find a meaning for why we're suffering. It comes from engaging in practices, not only in the midst of the crucible, but practices before the crucible that allow us to stay close to God and gives us resilience through the crucible. It comes from community, um, having this, this sense of um, solidarity with others and fighting for others. And then now you bring up this idea of hope. It comes from hope because we can know with confidence that God will be mm. with us through the suffering and that there is always something better at the mm. end of the suffering. That's beautifully stated. And I love the way you've summarized all the little nuggets that we've been sharing this morning. But that leads me to something I, I don't want to end our time together without pointing out. And that is, this all sounds good to you and I because we are right now happy. Mm. We have uh, great families, uh, great calling. We work in a wonderful place, uh, great equipment. We're comfortable. The country, even though gas price prices are insane, the country is that we have a privilege to live in is rather stable. So really, as of this moment in my life, I don't want to speak for you, Joey, but I am not in a crucible. Mm. I am in a mo I am experiencing the, a wondrous, blessed time. And so I, I find that it, sometimes we give a lot of advice, um, but to someone living in the crucible, mm. to engage in all of these practices or to follow all these steps might be really, really difficult. Mm. Because when you're in the, in the crucible, it takes every single ounce of energy just to stand, just to wake up and say, I am going to live today. Um, which is why this, this calling is so powerful in my mind, right? Um, it's okay. You don't have to feel like you have to transform your life. You don't have to mm -hmm. feel like you failed, failed spiritually. I wish that Joey and I could give you one of these rousing speeches like they do in Hollywood mm -hmm. at the end of, of, of the movie or before the battle scene where the whole army that is up to that moment defeated now forays into the fray. But the reality is sometimes when we're in the crucible, we don't have time or energy for speeches. Mm -hmm. So maybe the best that we can do, the only thing that we can do is to say, endure. Mm -hmm. However you can, whatever you can do, in whatever way is possible, endure. Mm -hmm. Endure, endure, endure. And if you don't feel like praying, it's okay. We'll pray with you and we'll pray for you. If you don't feel like studying scripture, it's okay. We're going to share for you. If you don't feel like hitting out of bed, it's okay. Today, just endure. Just one more mm -hmm. day, restoration will come. Perhaps that's the speech that that makes Christianity different. That mm. what different that will, while all these other speeches are prompting us into action, 
Peter, Paul, the writers of the New Testament simply are saying endure. Jesus is the one who has done it all and he'll restore us. Yeah, it's so true. And that's such a powerful message because it's true. Whenever we're in the crucible, I mean, we can talk about all of this theoretically, but when we're in the crucible, it always feels terrible. Mm -hmm. It's always terrible. And it's we know these things in theory, but in the moment, it is just survival. Mm -hmm. It's just... It takes all we have just to survive. And that's what I love about the message of Christianity. Because every other religion, it's the message is, well, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, get yourself together, and climb out of the crucible. Christianity's message is about a God who stepped into the crucible mm -hmm. with us, who did not say, okay, when you get out of the crucible, I'll be with mm -hmm. you. He says, no. I'm going to get into the crucible mm. with you to walk alongside you, to carry you when you cannot walk yourself. I will be there. Even when it doesn't seem like I'm there and you can't see me, I am right there beside you. And I will lead you out of the crucible, out of the valley of the shadow of death. And we as fellow Christians, we have this privilege of walking alongside each other like Christ walk, walks alongside us. To, for those who are going through the crucible moments, it is our privilege and our responsibility to step into those spaces with them. So that's so powerful, Miguel. I love what you said. And I think, Joey, what, what that reminds us also is to be comfortable with each other's crucibles, mm. right? Because that makes me nervous. To, yeah. to see you suffering makes me nervous. And what you're saying is, if we are to be the kind of people that God has called us to be, mm. I need to run toward the crucible. Whoever, if I see you suffering, my job is to run into that crucible to maybe give you some words of encouragement, to maybe remind you it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. um, because suffering does something to us. It alters our worldview. It alters the perspective we have of God. And ultimately, it alters the perspective we have of ourselves. That's why Jesus starts with not only giving you agency, but by saying your sins are forgiven. It's almost as if he's saying, look, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. uh, we sometimes tend... I find, Joey, I don't know if, if you found this. I find that among people of faith... The problem is never that they're too lenient with themselves mm. or that they're too hedonistic. I find that most of us people of faith who believe in a, in a God, in a higher power, whatever you want, might want to call him, the, the temptation is always to be too hard on ourselves. Mm. And so um, I find that our job is to simply go into these experiences of suffering and say, it's not your fault. Mm. And I'm here to walk this with you. Mm. Um, and that that's going to take us a bit of training because I think we do need to be comfortable or to get comfortable in some way uh, being in contact with suffering. Yeah, yeah. Grief makes me uncomfortable. Suffering mm. makes me uncomfortable. Don't know what to say, how to react don't want to offend, mm. you know, you feel like you're, you're, and yet those are the spaces that's most important mm. for us to step into, not because we have answers that we need to give, but because presence is so mm. important during those times to just be with people. 
So we need to get comfortable yeah. with other people's suffering. Mm. That is so powerful with other people's grief and not let my discomfort, my personal hangups get in the way mm. of being present with them. Yeah, I mean, I know that during our CPE uh, residency, that's one of the things that we that we learn. You start as a resident, mm -hmm. not knowing what to say when you're going to walk into a into a room mm -hmm. um, where real crucibles have just happened, where somebody has just dropped some devastating news, and you're going to be the person. Not at that moment, at the moment of the crucible. They're not looking to the physician for answers. They're looking to you because you're the one that's connected, that has this direct line of access to God. Yeah. And so when, when it happens, you feel this enormous pressure because you say, I have to have the right things to say. I need to have some answer that's going to provide some comfort. And the reality is there are no answers that provide comfort. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my my preceptor, the one thing he said was, the one, th he, he told us, you need one thing to be a compassionate chaplain. One thing and one thing alone. And that was simply presence, be there. Hmm. That was it. That's all. You don't need to say anything. Wow. You don't need to have answers. You don't need to act in the right, you just need to be there. Um, and I think that's the invitation for us, mm. for us as people of faith, uh, be present, yeah. um, particularly when, it, when you're trying to minister to someone else in the crucible. Wow, be present. So that is the privilege that we have mm. of being present in the lives of, and that's what Christ does for us, is he's present with us. He is, again, it seems like we keep coming to, back to this idea of the incarnation. Mm -hmm. He is the incarnate God the God with us, and we as his followers have the privilege of being with each other as well. Yeah, we hope that God has been present in our conversation. We hope that if you are having a season in life when you are being blessed, that that season may continue, and we rejoice with you. Please take some time to smell the roses, and if you're in the crucible, we just want to remind you that we're here, um, we're just present and take care of yourself. Joey, would you, uh, would you close us off in prayer? Yes. Let's pray. Our good and our gracious God, especially in these moments of crucible, in these moments of challenge, in these moments where we have difficulty seeing even one step ahead of us, Lord, we ask that you, you remain close to us, that you continue to encourage us and to help us to step forward and that you surround us with people that also will walk alongside us and help us to be that presence, your presence in other people's lives as well. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So happy Sabbath and remember folks, be present for one another today and always. We'll see you next week.